We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Light Years. We're recording this on the Spotify Green Room app. Today, this one, this one hits at me very close, very close to the heart. And I don't know if it's because we're slowly starting to see Clay workout videos. I don't know if everyone saw the Instagram video he posted today of himself doing some shooting drills. But we're going to discuss our favorite Clay Thompson moments today. So before we get into it, I have Aaron Larsoul with me today. Andy Luce still on vacation. The remainder of the week, um, I wanted to discuss basically uh, Clay's return. So first, we got to start with uh, what we know. He is nine months off of surgery. He got surgery November twenty fifth, so legitimately nine months to the day. He is starting to make progress. He's starting to go through some shooting stuff. Ramona Shelbourne mentioned the Warriors were targeting Christmas. I've heard somewhere between Thanksgiving and Christmas, that seems to be, he's not going to open the season. I think somewhere in early December is where we're most likely going to see him on a heavy minutes limit. And I would assume that minutes limit lasts until at least the all-star break because he's coming off of two terrible injuries. He hasn't played basketball since June, 2019. The key is to get him up to speed by springtime not like try to make him play 35 minutes per game in January, re-aggravate something and go through this all over again. So my read on it is that the hope, and perhaps this is optimistic, although all of the the, the fake internet doctors and even real internet doctors uh, and Twitter doctors were pretty encouraged by the, the video that we saw today of him running baseline uh, from corner to corner shooting and making a bunch of threes. So my read on it is that um, it's not for him to come back and have his first game at Christmas, but hopefully he can kind of ramp up in the weeks leading up to Christmas and then be at somewhat at somewhat full go or close to full go uh, for for that Christmas game, Warriors at Suns. So that's kind of my read on it as it stands now. And that's kind of the way Ramona put it, like, I just have a hard time believing he'll be at 30 to 35 minutes per game by Christmas. Yeah, I mean, that's really the question is how long where, I, where I'm coming. 
with your legs, yeah. right, and your wind. So I, I think the hope is that he can play before Christmas. You mentioned, you know, maybe a month or so, sometime between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. I think the hope is that he can come back around Thanksgiving and then use right. the month of December to kind of ramp up and, and get his win because – as I'm sure all the goons out there know and all, all the light years listeners know, there's nothing like playing NBA basketball. There's nothing that gets you in shape or gets you ready to play NBA basketball. Yeah, and it's almost as much with recovery for him. Like, I would expect him not to play a single back-to-back this season. I just don't see the point. Um, but even in December, he should be able to play if he can play at NBA speed. The real question is going to be, how does he feel the next day? what kind of tension is there on his body? What kind of tension is there on the knee, on the Achilles, that sort of stuff. It's, it's as much about, you know, cause no one wants clay to come back and have re aggravations and spend half the year on the injured list and not know where he is come springtime. So um, I'll leave it to the doctors to make those decisions, but I'm trying to be like very cautious with my expectations for him throughout the year. With that said, I'm just excited to see him in uniform, like watching these videos it was just hitting me like, God, it's really been a long time since I've seen him play basketball. And the man has brought us some of the best moments on and off the court in the NBA over the last decade. Like I was just thinking through it. I'm like, damn, like there, if you were to say there's 10 or so iconic moments over the last decade, Clay might have three of them in the entire you're, NBA. You're you know? talking league wide. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, his performance in game six against OKC, one of the most memorable games of the last decade, period. Him hitting free throws on a torn ACL, one of the more, in the NBA finals, one of the more memorable things we've seen in the last decade. 37 points in a quarter, 60 points on 11 dribbles in three quarters. I mean, I don't need to. I'm gonna keep the running four, the through. fourteen threes against Chicago in Chicago. Yeah, I mean this one gets forgotten. In 2018, J.R. Smith rolled his ankle in Game One, high ankle sprain, a legitimate high ankle sprain, and he played on it. Did not miss a game. So now that wasn't a particularly close finals, but like that thing was swollen up, and you know how painful a high ankle sprain is. Like, it's not easy to play through up, but he wasn't going to miss finals game. That's what makes it, like, so uh, tragic that of all players, he's the one who had to go through the last two years. Well, also for context, right, when he came out uh, in, in, in game six, at game six against uh, Toronto, when he came back, he went in the tunnel, right? His knee was messed up. He went in the tunnel with, uh, with Bob and, and, and some other guys. When he came back out to shoot those free throws, he came back not to shoot the free throws. He came back to shoot those free throws intending to stay in the game. Yeah. And then that clearly. He jogged out. I remember they showed him jogging out on the Jumbotron at Oracle. And the entire crowd thought, oh, he's good. You know, because the idea that he would be able to run out and like it was a jog, but like no one dead sprints out of the, you know, <laughs> out of the, uh, the, the what's it called anyway. So the, the thought was, you know, oh, maybe he's okay. Maybe it's not as bad as it looked. You know, he really looked like he was going to have like a heroic moment. Hits his free throws and then just starts backpedaling. And he was kind of limping. And, you know, no one really knew in that crowd that he'd torn something until after the game. That's, 
I, I, I'll never forget that moment. It's one of the more dramatic things I've ever seen in person. You know, they ended up losing the game, but I remember afterwards, all I could think about was, dude, Clay tore his knee, got carried off the court, like helped off and ran out and hit his free throws and tried to play through it. I mean, it was, it was reminiscent of Kobe tearing Achilles. Achilles. Yeah. Against, against ironically, Harrison yeah. Barnes did not Harrison Barnes did not foul him. And by the way, happy birthday. Uh happy birthday to Kobe. Harrison Barnes didn't foul him. Kobe tore his Achilles and shot those free throws. And it, it that has always reminded me of Clay tearing up his knee and understanding that he was gonna have to leave the game permanently if somebody else shot the free throws for him. So he comes back out and says, No, 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 I'm good. Let me shoot these free throws. So those two moments have always kind of stuck. I would, I would agree with you because that's the first thing I thought of when I saw Clay hit the free throws as well. I remember that uh, Warriors-Lakers game because while Kobe tearing his Achilles overshadows everything about the game, it was like two games left before the end of the season and it had serious playoff implications. It was one of those games down the stretch of the season where it was like it might as well have been a playoff game because if the Warriors lost, they were going to fall back a seed. If the Lakers lost, they were going to fall out of the playoffs. Um, and if you remember, they, the Lakers on that point were, I mean, Kobe was on a one man tear trying to carry them into the playoffs at that point. So, um, not, not that this is a, you know, not that we're reminiscing on the 2013 Lakers on this show, but like, uh, it, those two moments always get stuck in my mind and, you know, it kind of shows Clay Thompson's mentality, which has always been kind of inspired and mirroring. Kobe's different players, but mentally very much the same with regards to how serious and how competitive they are. You said it right. No more to say. You said it right. Now, when I my favorite Clay Thompson moment, I actually wonder it has to be off the I court. I wonder if there's a okay. You're you're going off the court. I was going to say I wonder if they're the same. Mine's like a kind of sentimental moment. So I, I like this. I have a couple, but you know, off the court. <laughs> so I want to walk through a few of them. The first China Clay moment where he missed the dunk, I feel like that was fans' first glimpse into Clay the person because Clay had been such a quiet guy um, up until that point. Like everyone knew he could shoot, but he was not a big interview guy. He did not really show his personality in the early years on the Warriors. Now he's hilarious, you know, Instagram live from the boat. <laughs> You're lying if you don't drop everything you're doing to watch him when he's on Instagram Live with the boat. But like back in that day, he could not he could not get further away from a microphone at any time. So the China Clay dunk was like the first insight into Clay actually being a kind of hilarious human being in general. Uh, but my favorite will be after I want to say the 2018 finals. It might have been 2017. Clay is on another trip to China in the club, dancing to EDM. Still the funniest thing I've ever seen because he's completely wasted. And then he's his dance moves are just horrendous, which just makes us all feel better because he's a pro athlete and he, he can't really dance. And then at all. Finally, and then finally, this spin move. Like, I, I don't know. Everyone's seen the video, but it is – I will still pull it up on YouTube every couple of weeks because it makes me laugh. That's that's how I feel about that. 
I mean, there's so many good ones. You have another China moment. I'm not going to spoil for you because you and I talked. You told me yours. I did not tell you mine. So I'm not going to spoil yours. But uh, you have another China clay moment that's legendary. But there's also, I want to say, was it Egypt? I think it was in Egypt. It was Qatar. Uh, with him on, oh, Qatar. Uh, yeah. With with Mello and T-Mac. <laughs> and now, and now, now because of the World Cup, we've all learned that it's supposed to be pronounced Qatar, perhaps. But yeah. Uh, with with Clay on the camel, obviously legendary. And then we talked about some of the the on court moments. Um, the the thirty seven point quarter against the the Kings, the third quarter against the Kings. I still have saved on my DVR and watch every once in a while. Uh, I remember where I was obviously when the Warriors put. I think it was ninety five on the Bulls in the first half. I was bitter they didn't score a hundred, and Clay made all of those threes. I mean, there's so many. Uh, you mentioned the 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 game against the Pacers. I mean, there's so many on-court and off-court moments. Uh, oh. I'm not going to spoil mine, but yours, I love I love your moment. The EDM uh, one? <laughs> I, lo- I love your I love your, your clay gone off the henny in China moment. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just so good. Actually, now that you mentioned the Pacers, and, and by the way, shout Clay out, Thompson. I, I, I texted you this earlier, but Bob just mentioned it in the chat. Uh, the, the New York... Scaffolding. The, scaf- the scaffolding clay where he's just he's gone off something and just so so obsessed with local like to be around the scaffold local tv's interviewing him and i'm not even sure if they know that he's a famous nba Had player no they just think he's they just think he's like a, a normal person talking about scaffolding you mentioned the pacers this one i don't think will get brought up but um he so against the pacers I want to say it was a second year. It was pre uh, the Warriors becoming the Warriors. Uh, and they get into that scuffle and Clay tries to fight Roy Hibbert. That one will always stick in my mind because, you know, that was kind of the peak of Roy Hibbert is like the best rim protector in the league. And, you know, he had a nice little run there for two, three years. And that Pacer team was nice for two, three years. And yeah, they were good. And Clay just tries to fight. Roy Hibbert, and I'll never forget this. Michael Thompson, uh, his father and, you know, Lakers announcer, just goes in on him on local Bay Area talk radio, talking about how big of an idiot Clay is for trying to fight Roy Hibbert. He's didn't, telling the, didn't Steph have a thing with Roy Hibbert, too? It was the same game. They yeah. both. That, that was maybe the birth of the Splash Bros. They both tried to take on Roy Hibbert at the same time. And uh, it's just hilarious because, you know, they are perennially labeled as like nice guys, soft, like they they don't have like the fighter reputation. So that one will always stick in my mind. But I always in the back of my mind have Michael Thompson talking about how big of an idiot Clay is for trying to get into a fight in an NBA game. So that'll always come to my mind, too. All right. So that like really dovetails into my uh, favorite Clay moment. So I guess I I guess I should spoil it now. Michael Thompson is one of my favorite human beings on planet earth. He is just the absolute best. Um, he's been incredible to me. Uh, in my Lakers travels, we sit close and all of that. Michael Thompson is, he's just the best. He's also an incredible, he's hilarious and everybody should follow him on Twitter. I think it's champagne nuts on Twitter and how he, how he talks on Twitter, how he speaks on Twitter, how he types on Twitter is just him authentically. So whatever you see on Twitter is actually, Michael and he he loves Clay and he loves following Clay and in my travels with the Lakers one of the ways I can hide some of my Warriors fandom 
is I get to hang out with Michael and watch Warriors games. He's watching Clay. I'm hanging out with Michael. Um, but I've always, and he's always lamented the fact that Clay has never, never played a lot, and Steph never does either at Staples Center. So Michael has never gotten to see any of Clay's big games. It obviously wasn't in Chicago, uh, the Indiana game, the game at right. Oracle. He's so he's never around. But in two thousand, I want to say it was October or November of two thousand nineteen. Clay made 10 straight threes to start the game uh, at Staples Center. And so when it was like six or seven or eight in a row and Clay was clearly having a big game, I decided to leave where I usually sit and go up and watch with Michael because he had never gotten to see Clay do this. And so watching Michael watch Clay have that kind of night is something I will never forget. And it, like honestly, it was it was oh, emotional is, for him, and then emotional for me. Clay made this like this like a lifetime story movie right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, gotta, I might I, I might tear up a little bit. I, I am tearing up as we as we talk about it. But Clay, I think tied an NBA record. He made ten straight threes to start the game. Uh, he missed he missed his eleventh, and then kind of sat because the Warriors were were beating the black off the Lakers. But so being able to watch Clay uh, do that with his father in attendance at Staples Center. I want it October or November of 2019. I think Clay finished with like 44. The Warriors won by 20 something. But getting to see Clay have that kind of performance in front of his dad because his dad had never gotten to see him do that kind of thing in person was was pretty magical. That is a great one. I like that one. Um, and that is the perfect transition. So I think it's time we open this up. We're going to give away a free shirt to the best moment. Um, maybe, maybe we give away two, to be honest. I'm in, I'm in a good mood. I don't know, man. I'm just excited to see Clay Thompson. Like, there's a lot of reasons to be kind of cynical about the Warriors' direction or lack of direction going into the future. All I know is when Clay, that first time we get to see him play next year and you see his name announced, checking into a game in the starting lineup or off the bench, doesn't matter. Uh, it's it's going to be something. It's going to be something everyone's going to want to remember. Everyone's going to want to. Everyone's going to see and remember because it's a long time for a dude who's that iconic and that important to a franchise to miss. And um, you know, I I feel confident he's going to come back and he's going to have a strong second half of his career as a player. But like, man, it's it's going to be it's going to be something. Hoping. All right. You know what's weird? It's like I'm I'm trying to think of an analogy for it. Because the only thing that like feels like it is Mm -hmm. somebody coming back after they've left or been traded or something, like their first time back. But Clay is still with the same team. And it's been two years. So I'm trying to think if there's some other situation that kind of matches it where somebody's been gone for a while and you get to like feel the roar of that crowd and the goosebumps when they get introduced or he makes his first three or whatever. And I can't think of another situation that's similar. Yeah. Um, someone in the chat mentions Jordan coming back after retirement. Oh, yeah. That's not bad. No, I, that's not bad. I mean, I hate comparing anyone to Michael Jordan, but it might have that kind of electricity just because, I mean, the dude's had two horrendous lower body injuries. And he means everything to this franchise. Like, behind staff he's pretty much the most important player and he means everything to the fan base and so i i think it'll 
I don't know, man. It's it's hard to even talk about it before it happens now because you just know when it happens. You're just going to like be staring, not really speaking, probably have a dumb smile on your face, get super excited. I, at least that's how I'll be. Yeah, because it's and it's obvious how much it's it, it, it's going to mean to him too. And it was obvious watching this year when he was hanging around the team and was really like looked like emotionally, mentally. Sometimes he was struggling because he couldn't be out there. So thinking about how much it's going to mean to him matters too. Yeah, some of the mentions goes Chase is going to be tears. I mean, it might be the first legitimate moment in the Chase Center. To be honest, Chase opens. Steph breaks his hand, like third home game. Uh, the season's a pure tank. And then we've had no fans in there since then because of the pandemic. It might legitimately be the first moment that matters in Chase Center. So, that's a good call. Yeah, I like that. That's a, that's, I didn't, I didn't even thought about that till now, but yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're going to move to callers. Tell us your favorite Clay Thompson moment and anything else uh, Clay-related you want to say. All right, we're starting with Francis. Francis, what's going on, man? Oh, hey, guys. What's up? Sorry, I was muted How's there. It? No worries. How's it going, man? What you got Good, for good. So um, stay in line with the, the Michael uh, stories. Uh, you know, because you already said all the big ones, right? You know, on-court stuff. Sure. Uh, but I remember... Ethan Strauss sharing a story from like one of these tales in the locker room where they're playing in LA and Michael comes in the locker room while Clay's in the shower. So as you mentioned, like he's a really doting dad and he sits down and Clay hides in the shower for the entire time. He waits like 10, 15 minutes uh, while Michael's patiently uh, waiting there for <laughs> to see Clay until uh, Michael leaves. Then Clay emerges from the shower, like just hiding from his dad. Like you know, I, I thought was I thought that was hilarious, I, and like I forgot great. about that one, but that is a great one, yeah. Because like, yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like you know, Dad, just get out of here. Uh, maybe like, <laughs> so I, I thought that was a pretty cool one. But um, Clay's awesome. Can't wait to get him back. Uh, you know, I was wondering too about the clutch uh, story that broke today and <laughs> Northern Snowwell. We got to get into that. Like that's really interesting. Uh, All right, well, yeah. I'm happy to get into that, Francis. Appreciate the call. I love that. Uh, so I just want to say, I love that uh, that Clay story. I totally forgot about that, but that kind of is in line with like I don't know. Early, I don't know that one. Early Clay just did everything he could to uh, 
hide from post-game interviews, post-game camera, anything. Like it's it's still it's hilarious because like now he is the player people want to see most in front of the camera. Like he I think he superseded Draymond. Like Draymond is an amazing quote and charismatic and fun, but like people are more excited to see what kind of goofy shit Clay does post-game than Draymond, right? Like at this point. And then and then Steph, I mean Steph's mastered the art of being boring in those situations, let's be honest. So I think um, the thing with Clay is there is no one I don't I don't know of anyone in life, like in my personal life or in my NBA life or anything, that is as authentically themselves in right. every situation as Clay. I think that's like that's the magic of it. He literally doesn't care. He doesn't care what the scenario is, he doesn't care who's around, he is going to be himself, period. And he embraces that more than anyone I have ever seen or no, anyone I know. It's aspirational, honestly. It really is. Like, he's just very comfortable in his own skin. Uh, something everyone hopes they can be, right? Um, let, let's talk about this Rich Paul, Nerlens Noel thing for a couple minutes. But we're going to keep the Clay Thompson topic going. By the way, feel free to mention a moment that Aaron or I have mentioned beforehand. And just give us your own spin on it, what you thought, how it made you feel, whatever. Like, I know I went over, like, the big moments. Like, I mentioned the big games. Feel free to mention it again. Like, I'm not – I'm not. this isn't a context contest to see who can come up with, like, the most obscure Clay Thompson story. Has has anyone mentioned the good luck toaster signing, Clay? Because that's, <laughs> that is a – that's no, and you you probably just you probably just made someone upset because they're about to call. Please in and do say that. give me the. I don't <laughs> know all the context behind it, so please do. Yeah, um, let, let's do this Rich Paul uh, clutch thing real quick. So Nerlens Noel has filed a lawsuit against Rich Paul and Clutch Sports Group, saying that they essentially owe him fifty eight million because they defrauded him out of contracts. Not going to get into every specific about it, and uh, I, I know you can't speak <laughs> that openly about it. So I'll be polite. I want to start. I want to start with the first thing, which is like, I would be shocked if this lawsuit leads to any money changing hands. I've never heard of that happening because it's like you can't get mad at an agent for telling you they're going to get you this amount of money and not being able to deliver it like if that was the case we could all sue everyone we've ever met in life who's promised us something and not delivered on it right um so with that said like i don't know i've i've talked to a couple lawyers i don't know anyone who thinks that there's like grounds for this being anything beyond that i don't know that i buy half the claims in the article that was published. That's just where I'm going to start right. with it. Like well, it's well, a lot of it's a lot of like teams were calling and he refused to answer phone calls on behalf of his agent. Like I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. How I don't know. That. I don't even know if I buy that. It's more like I, I'd be willing to bet it's more like they weren't offering what he wanted, and he's kind of sour that his market never reached the level that he wanted it to. But. um yeah, man. I mean, it's it's not the first time something like this has happened. Like every couple of years we hear about a player who's like, this agent promised me the world and I never got it, you know? Well, look, the NBA, I'm going to speak vaguely, but the NBA is is littered with guys who think they were offered something or claim that they were offered something or actually were offered something 
that they turned down for whatever reason. Well, not for whatever reason, thinking that they can do better in a couple months and six months in a year. And for whatever reason, be it injury, be it market, be it um, pandemic, have, uh, being pandemic, be it them thinking, having an overinflated view of their own earning potential or their game um, that they can get more. The NBA is littered with cases of guys theoretically turning down what appears to be good money, thinking they can get better money and then not being able to actually realize uh, those dreams and those contracts later. I mean, frankly, now that he's gone, now that he's signed, we can, I can talk about it. Like Dennis Schroeder is an example this year, right? They're, they're, yeah, he's, he's the most honest. Yeah. Right. The NBA is littered with these kind of stories. So I think that Nerland's Noel is going to have a difficult time um, proving any malfeasance from an agent um, on this one. So I, I don't know that there's a lot of merit to this claim, but I think there are quite a few guys around the league that are going to be paying attention to the precedent set by this lawsuit. If, if the lawsuit actually happens and if it actually leads to anything, I think there's going to be plenty of guys that kind of have their right. eye on it just in case. But I, I think it's going to be pretty tough to prove anything here. The other thing I will say is if Nerland's Noel's claims are accurate, it's it's going to end up hurting Rich Paul as an agent, which is to say if if that becomes his reputation, he's going to have a hard time getting clients in general. And it's going to be one of those things where in five years, we'll know if it's accurate or not. Because the, will, it, will it though? Do you think so? I mean... He's got LeBron and he's got Ben Simmons and he's got Dre. Like, do you think it will actually hurt him? Well, the claim is he only takes, he only cares about his top. Right. And Anthony Davis, by the way. Right. Sure. So if the reputation is, if you're not a max player, he doesn't care about you. Well, then he'll stop getting guys who aren't max players. Right. Like that's typically how those things work. I mean, theoretically, but he just got THT paid. Like maybe. Sure. Maybe I, I don't I don't know that you're wrong. I'm just I think that I'm is, all I was all I was getting at is if the forget the lawsuit for a second, if you have a reputation of defrauding players or like giving bad advice, you're gonna eventually get oh, screwed. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's, you know, that's like, definitely true. That's that's yeah, that's definitely true. That's my point, which is why I have I don't wanna say a skeptic's eye on it, but like the proof comes out when he has a hard time signing any future clients because he has a reputation for being dishonest at that level. Uh, and that isn't the case right now. And I'm not trying to like, you know, go yeah, around. He's also here the most like, powerful guy. He's the most powerful agent in the league at this point. Probably. Yeah. I so, mean. so I think, I think it, I think it takes, if, if he does get that reputation, I agree that that would be harmful for him. But I think it takes more than Nerlens Noel registering these claims against him to get there. Yeah, I'd agree too. So that's just kind of, I think it's interesting. I think you don't see it every day, but I feel like it's a lot of, it's more tabloid noise than like something of substance that we should really dive into at this point. So I'll leave it there. Let's get back to Clay Thompson. Maxwell, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Um, my uh, moment, it's not the most memorable, but 
It was his first amazing playoff performance. Um, it was in 2013 against the Spurs. Uh, it was the game after we blew the big lead and Manu hit the game winner against us. It was that game two. He had 34 points, 14 rebounds, and he was eight of nine from three. And that, that was like the 14, first. 14 rebounds? Yes, 14 rebounds. He, 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 Hold he on, was I got to fact check this. Clay, yeah, I got to fact check this. Clay had 14 rebounds in a playoff game? Yeah, no, I, I know the I know the game he's meaning. He, he he is correct. I completely forgot about. It. I don't. I didn't even remember he played that good. But when I mean, I knew he played good, but I didn't realize it was that. And then when I was checking the box score, I was, it, I, I was surprised. And it was like the first game where I actually thought this guy could be a star because up until that point, it was like Steph and quality role players. But then when Clay had that game, you you saw like, oh wow, this guy this guy could really be uh, a, a franchise piece. And um, that's that always stuck out because it was like his coming out party. And then a regular season moment uh, would be the, the, you guys remember, and I think it was 2019, we were playing the Thunder and Clay absolutely locked Russ up. He shot like three for 21. And then Clay like completely locked him down on a possession. And then Russ like pushed him and Clay just laughed at him. I, I thought I think that's it, an all time play moment. I game game two, twenty thirteen, Clay with thirty four and fourteen. Maxwell, that's a good pull. That's a early that's an early front runner for the for the t shirt. Um two thoughts on that. One, Clay laughing at Russ when he was in street clothes always comes to my mind. Uh it's just the perfect I don't want to say man, perfect manifestation of the two of them. Like Russ runs hot. Whether you love him or hate him, he does compete hard and he will talk trash to anyone, period. And Clay in street clothes, just laughing and shaking his head is also just like quintessential, like Clay being the coolest guy in the room at all times. But to Maxwell's point, that 2013 game, I remember that game being the one I thought the Warriors were onto something. Uh, it's less clay, but I remember. So game one against the Spurs in 2013, and these are like peak Tony Parker, Tim Duncan. You know, they won the title the next year. They were they were also like the Warriors' number one boogeyman. Like, gave it away. Know, the Warriors gave yeah. it away. Yeah. Steph could not have played better. I think that was the last time Steph ever faced drop coverage. Pop played his like standard, you know, ice, ice the pick and roll and drop coverage. Until Steph put like thirty in the first half, you wanted Boris Pop Diaw like, coming just, out there dancing with Steph. I, well, that's yeah, exactly that's the point. He uh, he ended up changing everything. The fact they still lost that game kind of annoys me. With like uh, Jared Jack and Bazemore like messing up the rotation and Mono hit, Manu hitting the shot. The fact that they lost the heartbreaker to you know the team that was going to go to the finals. Conventional wisdom was well. They lost their best chance. They're about to get swept. And they came out the next game like nothing happened and kind of surgically destroyed the Spurs. Like it wasn't one specific player. You know, uh, Clay had 34, but Steph had 20 something and a bunch of guys chipped in. It was just kind of a surgical execution of the Spurs there in San Antonio, by the way, a place the Warriors had not won since like before I went through puberty. So didn't they lose like 29 straight in San Antonio? There was something like that. 34, 33, something crazy like that. So it was in, it was definitely in the thirties and 
that was the moment I was like, I don't know how good this Warriors team is, but they're on to something because the fact that they can just let that game go and come out the next game, play calmly against probably the best executing team in the NBA, maybe not the most talented, but like this, those Spurs just executed better than anyone, right? And, yes. And, uh, and beat them. I mean, that's, that's a very mature performance. For yeah, them. they should have been up to But interestingly, you didn't buy it after they smacked Denver in the first round? No, I did. But to me, the Spurs are a different animal. And at that time, the Spurs were I – wasn't, I wasn't thinking the Warriors could hang with teams in that tier. I was thrilled that they beat Denver and they'd push themselves into like the second tier of, of playoff teams. I was not thinking like, all right, this is a team that can hang with like the Spurs and the Heat and like the upper echelon of the NBA at that point. So for me, it was, you know, like getting past anything, getting past Denver was gravy at that point. The fact that they lost a heartbreaker and acted like it was nothing and beat the Spurs the next game and ended up pushing the Spurs to six and quite frankly, pushed the Spurs better than anyone outside of the the Miami Heat. Um, really showed me something that there was there was a more to this team than just being like a cute like mid playoff team. Absolutely, I I remember being frustrated um, that they I think I think the Warriors were up like twenty in game one and should have won it. Oh God, yeah, I that was being frustrated. It that well, we don't need to go down the game one rabbit hole because it was like, but, uh, I, but yes. I, yeah, I remember being frustrated game one, and then after game two, I remember thinking. Yeah, the Warriors really should be up. I, and I remember where I, was, where I was and watching and listening to those games. I remember thinking the Warriors should be up 2-0 here and being pleasantly surprised. Like, hold on. Like, they can hang with these dudes. And the Spurs were, other than the Heatles, the Spurs were definitely the best team in the NBA other than the Heatles in those days. So I, I remember being pleasantly surprised, but also thinking that the Warriors had let one get away. Yeah, I mean, both things can be true. I think, I think in the big picture, it was the fact that they hung with the Spurs, let you know. But yes, in in the moment, I was like, oh, they should be up two on the Spurs. All right, we'll keep moving. Get to the next caller, Ryan. What's up, man? Hey, nothing much. Yeah, um, I I don't think this moment's been mentioned at all, but it just speaks to Clay being Clay. And it's after we signed KD and the reporters are going around doing their due diligence, doing the whole one ball crap. And one of them goes up to Clay and they're like, Clay, what are you going to sacrifice? And he's like, what do you mean? I ain't sacrificing shit. And then you go look at his stats for the KD area years. And it's literally 20 points per game, eight, his 14, 15 shots a game. It just stays the same. And you're like, okay. And then also another one is him sitting on the bench after the first title and he played awful that series. We're just sitting there all happy because <laughs> um, we won. It speaks to Clay's carefree nature. It's just like, I don't care what I did. I care that we won, and that's all that matters. And those two moments just stick out to me of Clay's personality and speaking to his carefreeness and just him being himself. Those are great ones. That reminds me of the, uh, the Clay quote, uh, they pay me to shoot the ball. You know, he, he, does, he does not care who is on a team. It doesn't matter if he has. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, maybe the two best players in the league at the time. He's like, if I'm open, I'm shooting it. Because if I'm open, my shot's as good as anyone in the league. He's not wrong. He is, he he is, is not, not wrong. wrong. It also reminds me of uh, that. What is that meme where you like, 
when you get an A on the group project when you didn't do any of the yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, it, um, well, the picture Ryan was describing where he's just sitting on the bench and it's like fouled out five points and he just has a huge grin on his face. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that, that's kind a... Kind of fucking legend. Yes. That is that is the um that is the general the general point we're getting at today. All right, keep moving. Uh Jake, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we, we can got hear you. What's going on, man? Yeah, sorry about the outdated Abby, but it's too, I'm in too deep right now, so I gotta keep it. But uh <laughs> my favorite Clay Thompson moment, I think it's just like an underrated one. It's not super huge, but it was after a regular season win and he was just sitting in the press conference. And all of a sudden, he's kind of grinning at the camera, just looking a little bit off. And he just pulls out a beer and just takes a sip of it. And it was just like the most random thing ever. And like, just such oh, an outrageous. Oh, he does the, um, <sighs> Yeah, like, <laughs> exaggerates it too, just like in the reporter's face. And I was just watching, like, so confused. But it was just hilarious. It's definitely one of my favorite Clay moments. I love that one. I mean... I, I think the evolution of Clay in post-game press conferences is is an underrated thing. Going from the guy who refuses to speak to just like embracing the fact he can just he can just do whatever he can he can hold up a strength in numbers flag upside down and then just go sheesh oops you know and just everyone will eat it up at any time. What playoffs was it where Steph um, started bringing started bringing Riley to the press conferences? Do we think? That that was that, the first uh, one. Do, do, do we think that uh, Clay ever starts just bringing Rocco to the press conferences and just see what Rocco's going to do? I I mean I think he has to. I think we need Rocco courtside for his first game. Honestly, that's what I need. I need Rocco. I need Bruce Frazier to move to the back row, give his seat to Rocco for that game. I actually kind of love that. Joey, what's up, man? We got you. Back. What's up, boys? Sorry about that earlier, but um, no worries. <clears throat> um, yeah, so this is this is an athletic article that came out a couple of years ago about the 2018 finals. Uh, it was talking uh, with with one of Clay's college teammates, and he was saying how he wants to, you know, get a flight for Game Five of the finals in Oakland. And Clay apparently like texting him back saying, "Nah, we're about to sweep this. Like we can tell they're done. So just come to Cleveland." <laughs> And, like, they were hanging out after game three. They had won, and uh, his teammate is like, all right, bro, like, what are we doing tonight? And as he's sitting there, Clay just pulls out a Nintendo 64. Like, he traveled with it all the way to Cleveland, and they they were playing, like, Super Smash Bros. until 3 in the morning. And that, to me, is, like, that's why Clay's the GOAT, man. He's just, like, a chiller. He he doesn't want to go out. He doesn't want to, like, spend time, like, going out like with other people he just wants to stay up till 3 a.m playing smash bros like from splash bro to smash bro man that's legendary (laughs) love it love it i love it that's a great one that one that one might be my leader in the house aren't there a bunch of i'm trying to remember the story exactly i i think draymond and maybe even kd have, have talked about this where uh the story is about like Clay sleeping through practice and everybody trying to get on him and Dre and KD are like, we do not care. You sleep through practice. If you make these threes in the game, none of this matters. So sleep through practice. Well, the, we don't care. The most famous one is the 60 point game. He missed shoot around. Shoot arounds at what? 10 a.m. Most days. Uh, yeah. 10 and or 11. Yeah. Clay just, Clay slept through it and they just shows up to the arena and just drops 60 and three quarters, barely dribbling the ball. It's just the quintessential Clay Thompson story. 
I like this from I actually like this from from uh from Bob in the chat. You think we could get like a uh a, a a picture of the boat or like a, a I think we need the boat up in the raft. Maybe Rocco and the boat and Clay up in the rafters. The the eleven jersey and a caricature of the boat in the rafters. I I think I think the Warriors need to look into this. I like it. McWalters, what's up, man? Hey, hear me okay? I can hear you. What what you got for us, man? Uh, I love Clay from the Northwest. You know, so I follow the Huskies. I follow the Cougs. And just, it's great to see this guy develop from this, this quiet stoner who got busted for weed in college to being this <laughs> awesome stoner who's a man of the public. It's just freaking phenomenal. Um, one of my favorite things, though, is that um, New York reporter who found him on the street and uh, would just ask him a random question about his concerns on scaffolding. And he actually went and answered it and it became like this viral thing. And Slater picked it up, kind of, you know, like, did you, did you know that this happened? And it was like, Oh, Hey, you know, like I just answered the question. I was walking the street. I just, you know, I was out there in the public and I just did it. And that's just so clay or like him wheeling up and saying, Hey, where, where, where can I get the weed at over in Oakland when he was, you know, injured two seasons ago. You know, it's just like <laughs> he's a man of the people. And that's what we all like. Like, you know, it's like the rock, right? He's the people's champ. He's the people's champ of the Bay Area, and he's always gonna be. He's made for life here. I like that. That's actually the perfect way to describe Clay. He is the people's champ. He is a man of the people. I've yet to meet someone who's like, yeah, Clay Thompson, just not I, I don't like him. You know, not if you don't like Clay, what is wrong with you? You need to reconsider your life. Yeah, exactly. Also, shout out That's, to the chat. Uh, yeah. Shout out the first couple of years of uh, the hashtag Clayups. Shout out the oh, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that. Do you remember his first two years, the Clayups, and also stepping out of bounds in the corner? I don't remember that. He but did I do that more Clayups more than a few times. Clay would step out of bounds shooting, and it's just like, come on, man, you're supposed to be a shooter. Where, where's your footwork here? Lo and behold. Not really an issue for him. Just needed to uh, to get through the uh, the growing pains of the early years in the NBA, and then he was just fine, just fine. All right, keep moving. What's Ryan, up? what's up, man? Oh, uh, Ryan with the, uh, the the picture of Clay in the 2015 Finals when he got when he fouled out. I love it. Yeah. The the whole game, this moment for Clay, the whole game was crazy. I'm talking about game six for OKC. Like, the dude was nuts. But my favorite moment was, I think we were, like, down seven with five minutes left. He's top of the key. His feet aren't even set. Like, five feet away from the three-point line. He just shoots it. Like, just a fuck it shot. And it goes in. I remember just going batshit crazy. Like, y'all know what I'm talking about? I do. I remember that moment. I Ryan, appreciate the call. I remember that moment specifically because I never thought OKC was going to win that game. And about a minute before that, I was looking at the time and the score and I was officially getting the nerves. I was like, they're running out of time and OKC is not letting up. And then Clay hit that shot and it was, it was a bad shot. Honestly, it like it was a quote unquote bad shot. And from that moment on the Warriors locked in and I mean, Clay gets all the credit for for game six. I, I think it was a team effort more than anything. Like the defense in that game is still probably my favorite defensive performance of the Warriors. Steph was uh, during Steph was excellent in that game, but like I just remember they had every reason to kind of bend over at various points that game because OKC was excellent. 
and they hit like more than a handful of knockout pu- or supposed knockout punches, right? Well, like they the thing a- about they were also they were really OKC was really good, but they were also demoralizing. Their their size right. and athleticism and suffocatingness that's not a word, but suffocatingness on defense with right. Abaka and KD and Roberson and and. and and, I mean, and everyone, Russ, everyone with a seven plus foot wingspan. Yeah, basically. they were yeah. suffocating. They were suffocating and are the team that gave the dynasty or pre dynasty era Warriors the most trouble because they were just physically and athletically suffocating. So for Clay to be able to do that, and then I think obviously Steph was, if I remember correctly, was a phenomenon in game seven. But for them to be able to do that and Clay saying, like, all right, like, I'll carry us. I'll carry us home here. It was incre- It's one of the most impressive performances we've ever seen. I've rewatched that game probably more than any game uh, of that entire Warriors run. Obviously, had it saved on the DVR. Uh, definitely a go-to when I had nothing to watch on TV for an extended period of time. And the thing that always sticks out to me is every time you rewatch it, you, you pick up a new little nugget, right? Like obviously you notice things in terms of the basketball. You didn't notice maybe the first time through or the second time through, but like just the competitive nature of that team. Like I remember watching it over and over again, being like, how did these dudes not quit? How did they not fall apart when, you know, Russ, hit a dagger in one of their faces and it's just kind of like nothing's going their way and they can't get a rebound because OKC is bigger than them at every position one through five and they just kept fighting and uh, Clay specifically just started catching fire and and shot through it the whole way through and like Steph also fighting through it Steph was a rebound away from a triple double which means of course he did not have a good game as we know you know nine nine rebounds and nine nine assists means it was i think i think he had like 40 though and i think steph had like 40 in games he had 36 eight and five um don't ask i know off the top of my head but he also (laughs) hit every he also hit every he also hit every shot that mattered in that game like every uh-oh, OKC is about to take the lead, and then Steph hits a step back with Ibaka and KD in his face type of shots. Is so, that your one, I don't know, that, that your that's, one rewatch Warriors game, your all-time rewatch Warriors game? Game six or game seven? No, game six. Game six is my number one rewatch because there's just so much emotion behind it, and like that OKC team really was better than them. They should have... I mean, I, I don't want to say, okay, better than them's going to be taken out of context. That OKC team should have beat them. That was the only time I felt like, I don't know if the Warriors have an answer to this. I know Cleveland beat them the next round, but I'm always going to walk away from that one feeling like the Warriors combo injuries, suspensions, and self-inflicted wounds lost that series, which is uniquely different than OKC for large parts of that series made me feel helpless like I just don't know what the Warriors can do here I just don't know how they overcome the size and athleticism Cleveland never made me feel that way like LeBron's amazing one of the greatest ever Kyrie uh, some of Kyrie's uh, uh, games in that series were just mesmerizing but like I never felt like they overwhelmed the Warriors the way OKC did I felt like the Warriors left that one on the table far more than the OKC one 
for me, the ones I, I, I do, I watch that game six uh, fairly often. I also watch, I want to say it was game four against the Blazers in 17, I think, where it, and I was there in person actually also, where it was just over immediately. Yeah, the Warriors got up like 23 to 2. Oh, that or was something. Uh, that was the one where um, it was KD's first game back because he sat a couple games with like uh, lingering, um, what was I going to say? So it was his calf, right? Then he. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, then, yeah. And- I watched those a lot. I also watch um, the regular season game. I guess this would be in 16 against OKC, the Steph 12 threes. I watched that periodically. But the one that. I, I mean, that's, watched, a, that's the best regular season NBA game of the last like 15 to 20 years. Easily. I, 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 except I, the only way I disagree with you is I would say ever. Um, yeah. I'm just. The one just, I watch over and over and over and over is Clay's third quarter against the Kings from January of, uh, of, of 15, because there is nothing that makes me right. I'm like, I'm an old man. I've been in and around the NBA for most of my adult life. There is nothing that makes me giggle like that. It's just, it is so absurd. We will never see anything like it again. It is the most ridiculous and absurd thing I've ever seen. I mean, he couldn't miss. There was, there was a, there was a play that they just said, we're not letting Clay do anything. And they, fouled him and he basically punted one in from three there's nothing that makes me just giggle when i rewatch like uh like clay's 30th quarter clay gets hot like few players i've ever seen there's no other way around uh, a few like few wait hold on few who else <laughs> are you sure it's not number I mean, one who else i mean steph has how many 20 point quarters uh, in his career of, uh, and like 30 most quarters, though yeah, but most of his 20-point quarters are two-minute barrages where you're just like, all right, game over in two to three that's, minutes. That's you know? fair. That's fair. Um, and you can go back and watch that. Yeah, I'm, just saying, it's a, I'm just saying Boogie it's a – I'm just saying it's a – Boogie 15-footers over and over, too. Boogie, Boogie was pretty nice for the Kings in those days. Shout out Jason Thompson, by the way. Jason Thompson, who played about 500 too many games with the Kings. but uh, And the and Yeah, the that's – no, he played five games for the Warriors. But it was and, so. and too many. Yeah, exactly. All right, keep moving, then we get out of here. Ricky, what's up, man? Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. What's going on, man? All right, so my favorite Clay uh, moment. So it's one I saw in person. So it was December 2018. Um, I went to this game in Sacramento. And it was a game in which the Warriors had a large lead at some point in the second half, and then they almost coughed it up in the fourth quarter. And I I was mad because I thought I was going to be reading Steve Kerr quotes about how they didn't play with joy in the second half or something like that. And then with like about, I'd say like, I think it was like 40 seconds left in the game, Clay hit the go-ahead three. And then there was this 12-year-old in my section uh, that got mad and started calling every Warrior fan in the section a bandwagon. So basically, it was basically Clay, um, basically making a twelve-year-old kid mad. <laughs> yeah, that was that's my favorite memory from that year. I love it. It's a, it's a that great seems kind of that seems kind of dark though. Yeah, it's okay. We can get a little dark here. It's it's All right. okay. All right, we're gonna end it. I think we're going to end it now. I think it's time to pick. Aaron, you got you got a choice. Who should we give? Who should we give the shirts to? Oh, uh, 
Or you don't want to, you don't want to be the bad guy here. I'll no, I do, no, I do not. I, I, I do not. But I think uh, one last shout out in the mentions talking about the the Rodney Magruder. Uh, I think we need to give like a special dispensation, a special shout out to Clay as um, tolerating Fitz and Azubuki Clay uh, going on <laughs> going on the broadcast and then getting into it. The the whole Rodney Magruder, he don't even play Clay. I think also needs a special shout out. But no. I do not want to pick this because I, the goons don't. The goons are always upset with me anyway because I'm not Andy. So no, I do not want to pick. That's true. All right, I'm gonna give Maxwell and Joey, both of you guys, getting a shirt. Um, DM the Lightyears account with your mailing info, and I will get that sent to you in the next week. So Maxwell, Joey, appreciate you guys. Appreciate everyone's stories. We're gonna be giving away shirts on the next few green rooms. So if you didn't win one today, you have a shot on the next one. Also some other giveaways. You guys are gonna have to tune in and listen. Appreciate it everyone, have a good night.